901, ladies and gentlemen, 88.9, Fighting Scots Radio. It's the morning after here on a full-fledged football Friday in Edinburgh. Thank you all for tuning in. 88.9, edinburghnow.com, the tune-in app on mobile devices. I'm currently sitting here alone because no one else wants to come and do their work today. What are you talking about? I'm here. I'm in the building. Are you in the building? I don't know if that's good I or bad. I am present and accounted for, Tyler. That's good. Sometimes that's all that matters. I mean, it's not like the big man where I just get to pick my own schedule and do what I want. Speaking he, of him, is he here? No, I think he's stuck in traffic. Traffic? That would be my guess. I don't know. Maybe there's like construction between the apartment and here. I don't know. Nonetheless, the man we're talking about is uh, Michael J. Fenner. Still not here yet. Trying to figure out where he's at, what he's doing. He says he's joining us on air. In studio today. We'll it, find out. It might be just a tease, though. It could be a tease. It might be just a tease. We'll have to find out. So, uh, but we don't know what he's doing. Anywho, uh, let's get into the today's show. We got a lot to talk about today. A lot. Uh, Edinburgh football last night. Hopefully Tom Risenweber in his normal spot at 9.15 today. Josh Gleason calling in at 9.30 to talk college football. Heck of a week it was in college football, especially for the coaches. Um... I'm interested to talk to him about that. And then, uh, of course, we got the NFL. We got last night's Thursday nighter in an upset fashion. We have one less undefeated team in the National Football League now. And just a whole much more to talk about today. So, Tubby, obviously, uh, start off with Edinburgh football. What did, I mean, this was an interesting, uh, interesting game last night. Conditions and all. And Edinburgh. Falls in a shootout, 49-42 to 42 to the Gannon Golden Knights um, in what was a game that had 91 points combined, over 1,000 offensive yards combined. With the way that weather was shaping out in the beginning of it, I did not expect that to happen. But, man, what an exciting contest that was. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was surprised that they were actually keeping pace, and I, I thought we had a chance to win it. I thought we were in it the whole way. They really, I mean, they, I mean, it's amazing the comeback because it's, it's 42-20 at one point in time. And they, they jumped all the way back and were then down just the score. I mean, if you, there was no scoring in the, in the, uh, in the third quarter, barely anything. Edinburgh comes in, scores, or comes right down in the second half. Gets it closer. I mean, it, it looked done when it was 42-20. We just kind of, we just kind of thought. Yeah, let's That's pack it. it up. Let's go home. We had we had a couple turnovers uh, that they kind of hurt offensively for Edinburgh, but it didn't really affect much as the uh, Flanning Scots persevered, fought on back in this one, and then loses, unfortunately, 49-42. to For the Gannon Gold Knights, the first time they had the Erie County sweep, beating Mercyhurst and Edinburgh in the same season. That's, so, yeah. So I guess that's an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment. And uh, speaking of accomplishments, Mike Fenner is uh, now officially in the building. Joining us here live in studio, it's Mike Fenner. Here we go, brownies. Here we go. Ooh, ooh. Here we go, brownies. Here we go. Ooh, ooh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
I'm a little disappointed you couldn't wait at least five minutes for the the borough football talk, but I guess you're disappointed in me not being here. So I got. Well, a lot we're of excited. Stuff to do. We're pumped. We got, we got a we got a full schedule here, right, boss. I got two guests to get to. I have a show schedule just because you don't want to follow it. I have things to you know markers to hit, things to worry. This about. This is why you pay us the big bucks to get on and to talk all the stuff that needs to be talked, and in a timely, orderly fashion. Yeah, I got parked in this morning, so my apologies. I told you it was traffic. No, not traffic. My own apartment. Well, there you in. go. It's traffic-ish. <laughs> Anywho, so yes, we did talk. Start talking about this contest um, after you, uh, before you got here, I should say. And now we'll continue it. Now that you are here, uh, what do you make of this game, Mike? I mean, I know you were all excited last night, and uh, a lot of offense, offensive shootout, the like, forty-nine, forty-two. Certainly not something we were expecting. First of all, I want to ask where you uh, picked that up from. The like, the like. I I think like two weeks ago I heard that for the first time, and you've been using that a lot lately. I just wanted to know where that came from. I think I've been using that for a lot. I've never heard that. You've until never two heard weeks me say ago. that. No, I was just curious. I don't know. No, it's not from you. I you know that. Say the like, I know. I just thought it was interesting. I'm, I'm not trying to call you out. I thought it was funny. All right. So continue on with I'm your sorry. answer and the like. <laughs> Uh, no, it was interesting. I mean, clearly a team that averages 18 points per game, you don't expect to put up 42 uh, and to explode the way they did in the fourth quarter with 22 points. Uh, beat their average in one quarter, nearly rallied. And, you know, at the end, Gannon puts the ball on the ground on their last possession on a first down run. And if that ball bounces a little bit differently oh, yes. and Edinburgh recovers it, wow, you're talking about an offense that's already, you know, in gear, in a groove, 22 points in the fourth, get the ball back with two timeouts. And maybe in a normal circumstance, asking them to go 80 would be a tall order Mm -hmm. uh, with under two minutes to go. But I think with the way they were playing, uh, Gannon was back on their heels defensively. They wouldn't have been ready for that. And I think that that would have been huge uh, to see the Scots get one more chance at the ball. Would have been a great opportunity to see. But unfortunately, with that fumble being recovered uh, by Tyler Johnson and the Golden Knights, does not enable Edinburgh to get the ball back uh, with the lack of timeouts. So that was disappointing. But... Wow, nearly had them, and uh, that was a team, like you said last night, quality team, uh, but they, they nearly got beat on their own field. A wet field, too. Yeah. That was, that was some torrential downpours at some point in time, high winds, umbrellas turning inside out. But let's look at Edinburgh offensively. There's a lot that happened offensively in this game, and uh, really the two, the two guys you got to talk about in this contest, Jake Sisson, Alex Caratelli in this one, Sisson. Career high in yards and touchdown passing touchdowns. Also ran in another score, ran in a two-point conversion. And during all those, those passing um, triumphs that Sisson enjoyed, he uh, found mostly Caratelli in this one, who had nine catches for 210 yards, easily career bests for his time in the borough, with three touchdowns as well. Yeah, uh, he had the first five catches and was already over 150 yards in the first half, early in the first half with two touchdowns, adds a third uh, late in that fourth quarter with a fourth down touchdown. They had two, uh, three third downs converted on three attempts, and two of them were for touchdowns. Uh, so those were the, the gotta-have-ems and the keep-em-alive plays. That's what impressed me the most, I think, is this team had a pulse. And this team, you know, when they had to have those plays offensively in the second half, they didn't falter. They didn't fumble, fumble it away, throw a pick. Uh, they stepped up. And those fourth downs, you know, the third down conversions weren't terrific, 4 of 12. You're talking about 33% and change. Uh, but f- when fourth down came around, they were ready to step up and perform, and they delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, just didn't get that last crack at a possession towards the end of the game. 
That they did not. Unfortunately, just time was running out there. And um, But Edinburgh, unbelievable. I mean, just some improbable plays. You have to admit that. I mean, fourth down Absolutely. conversions. I mean, it was like fourth and four from the 20 at one point in time. And, we're, and I'm thinking, you know, Jake Sisson's going to, you know, maybe do a design run, just pick up a few yards. Nope. Right to the end zone. Touchdown. Yeah. Forget, forget about getting the first. He wants six. <laughs> He's hungry. He's running to the table. He's going to eat. And, you know, he only had 40 pass attempts, which I say only 40. But that's pretty low for him. And the reason he did is because the running game was actually producing some, you know, effect in the offensive scheme. Yep. Uh, no Jamal Evelard in this one. Well, uh, we didn't really get an explanation on, on why. Probably just maybe missed some practice this week. The such of that. Corey Bell, 14 touches uh, for 84 yards, averaging six yards a, a carry. And I think it was probably Corey Bell's best I mean, obviously, statistically, yards-wise, his best game. But I think as a runner, just seeing him, I think uh, he looked really strong in this contest. He had two of his best three runs all season in terms of uh, long yardage as well. 29-yard run. Uh, he was just moving forward. I don't think he had a negative yardage play the entire game. Maybe one. Uh, I think we can see here on the box score. Just one play. He had lost two, negative two yards. So that's it. I mean, he was going forward or he was getting no gain. And right. that's important. Uh, even if you're only going to pick up three or four yards of carry, which he clearly picked up six yards of carry, uh, but even if you're going to do that, falling forward is important to keep your offense on schedule and to make your passing game have more success with you know the lack of third and longs, the lack of third and ten, third and twelve, but instead third and five, third and seven, or even closer uh, to be more efficient because it's just simple math. When you have less yards to make, it's easier to get there. Right. Yeah. Pretty we can, simple. We can figure that out. Game of inches. <laughs> Now, Edinburgh obviously had a lot of offensive firepower themselves, so on the opposite side, how did they get beat putting up 42 points in a ball game? Simply put, Brock Jones. Yeah, uh, Brock Jones had himself a first half. You know, four rushing touchdowns, three in a row. Uh, That's a school record, four yeah, first-half touchdowns. Unbelievable. Uh, and, and the thing that was really eye-opening is, I mean, he ran the ball pretty well, but it seemed like on the touchdown runs alone is where he was just – had no one to stop him. I mean, th these touchdown runs were effortless. It looked. I don't think he got touched on a single touchdown run. No, I mean, he didn't get touched on a were, lot of were runs. They, were they sweeps around? I didn't really see. Were, were they sweeps around, or was he going straight through, like straight between through. the tackles? Yeah, between straight the through. tackles. A lot of read option plays, too. Read option is their best friend. Yeah. Gannon. Yikes. I mean, there were, there were plenty of times when he was contained, or you know, he'd get six yards and get taken down. But on each touchdown... I mean, there was nothing that they could do to stop him. He was just getting there easily. It was incredible to see. Uh, and especially, I think you could tell on the first drive, his first touchdown with being a reception out of the backfield, uh, had terrific downfield blocking, broke one tackle, and he was gone, 53 yards. Showed off that athleticism and that versatility. Um, and really, it's hard to put the the second half on the defense because you know they gave up 35 right out the gate. And they were pretty gassed because this Gannon team had run 48 plays in the first half. So that's a lot to ask out of your defense to right. step up uh, in the last two quarters. I still think they did a pretty good job in the second half. Just you know, a couple breakdowns here and there, especially with the Ham touchdown to, to make it a 14-point game after Edinburgh had, cu had uh, cut it to a one-score game uh, to kind of put it out of reach. But yeah, that Gannon offense was as advertised, I think, with the running game. And they got plenty of help uh, from Tyler Johnson and Liam Nadler. Didn't blow it up, didn't blow up the world, but uh, made the defense respect his ability to run as well. Yeah, Nadler did a nice job. Very impressed, of course, what you were going to expect from a redshirt senior quarterback who's been around the block a few times, 321 yards, three touchdowns. Sacked twice, though, as uh, my, he's only brought down twice, but Edinburgh's defense was in that backfield, in Nadler's face, 
quite often last night. Yeah, they really did a great job of pressuring him. And I think the guy that we both talked about that impressed the most on the defensive side of the ball was Josh Kibbe. Uh, he looked like he was on another planet, just on a mission that you know he was not going to be denied. He wanted to win that football game so badly. Not to say that nobody else did, but you could really tell the effort and the motivation and the motor were all there. He was really uh, locked in last night, and he was really the guy that was creating that pressure and that havoc in the backfield with negative yardage plays being created. But unfortunately, Edinburgh falls 49-42 to in arguably their best complete game um, from all three phases. It's kind of hard to believe you can say that with a 49-point uh, performance on the other side, but I, I agree. I think it is the most complete performance they've put together all three phases. Uh, but this offense really took steps that I think could take them far in terms of next week looking ahead at Mercier's uh, talking to somebody after the game last night and saying, you know, if they, if they put that kind of performance together next week, they're not losing that game to Mercier's. I don't right. believe that's going to that's gonna happen. Yeah, so, you know, uh, that Thursday night setting as well, something that had, hasn't been the greatest of friends to uh, Edinburgh in the Browning era. Now I believe they are 1-5 on Thursday nights in his, in his losing um, the last couple straights. So, um, but they, they did it, and with interesting fashion to a lot of guys getting in on this. Uh, you know, James Jackson, Darren Massey, Sean Rollick got a touchdown pass as well. Um, speaking of uh, Massey, getting closer and closer to that record, Mike. Yeah, uh, Darren Massey right now with 156 catches, I believe, uh, on the – or pardon me, 150, uh, 157 catches in his career for Darren Massey, the redshirt junior. Nice. So he's three catches away from tying – uh, the school record for career receptions with David Bostick. And Massey also is now tied for second in career touchdown receptions with 20 through 25 games. That is really something. Uh, 25 games for his career. He's got 20 receiving touchdowns, tied for second in school history. Still 15 away from tying the record. Uh, but if he could finish the season strong this year, he's still got a whole 11-game slate next season where he may be able to get that record. Uh, under his belt, so we, you know, clearly we've seen Massey step up all year. Six catches for 53 yards, nothing outstanding, I think, in terms of what he usually does last night. But the fourth down touchdown was really impressive and one of the most important plays because it was 42 to 20 before he catches that, and it kept Edinburgh alive and made it so they were able to keep this to a one possession game at the end. Yeah, good, uh, good job by him. Got to keep an eye on that as the. Season continues along, and they got another Thursday night contest next week, 6 o'clock at home against the Mercyhurst Lakers. But unfortunately, last night coming up on the, the uh, losing side of a 49-42 to shootout with the Gannon Golden Knights. We're going to hit our first break on the show. Come back. We have Erie Times News sports writer extraordinaire Tom Reisenweber on the line to talk high school football as it's another week, another Friday and another Friday Night Lights edition to talk about a lot of high school football action as the season continues along with first a break, and we'll be right back after this. 88.9 WFSE, Edinburgh. 9-19 here on 88.9 Fighting Scots Radio. It's the morning after. We are going three wide here on a full-fledged football Friday. Tubby, Mike, myself, Tyler Trumbauer, thank you for tuning on in. 88.9 Edinburgh now, the tune-in app on mobile devices. And as always, right around this time in our second segment of our Friday shows, we're going to hit the local high school football scene with Erie Times News sports writer and varsity prime puppeteer, I guess would be the appropriate term, 
I mean, he he can really pull the strings in Varsity Prime. He's 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 the man behind that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're gonna get now Tom Risenweber on the line. Tom, how are you this morning? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Is is Puppeteer good? I mean, what do you what what do you think would be better? That's fine. The orchestrator, something like that. Orchestrator. That sounds fine. ten times better. Like a guy that's Orchest- in like the, yeah. like in a tux and he's you know kind of like making the band play. That I kind of like that. Right. Varsity Prime Czar. Czar even as well. That's a good one. That's good work by you, Tubby. So Thanks. looking into uh, this week's uh, action, getting closer and closer to the end of this season, uh, really playoffs uh, are starting to shape up. We're starting to see the contenders from the pretenders. Uh, what is kind of the leading storylines for tonight's games? Uh, you know, it's kind of a tease, kind of a wasted week. because It's all non-region. After uh, you know, last week we had a few teams clinch playoff spots right in the middle of the uh, the home stretch here, and uh, it's kind of an off week with uh, no region games. But there's still some pretty good games. Uh, Corey Fort LaBeouf should be a pretty good game tonight. Uh, General McClain's going to play Super Rock, which is always a good matchup. Iroquois and Seneca, but uh, mostly it's just uh, getting healthy, getting ready for these last uh, two weeks of region play. Uh, week ten, there's some region games, but not too many. So, uh, you know, kind of just kind of taking a breath right now and getting ready for the next two weeks. And uh, another big story was Sager Town, uh, which is pretty local. Uh, only is down ten kids on their roster. They won't be able to play this week, so their program's in some real trouble. Uh, hopefully, they can get that figured out and play their last three games. But uh, that's uh, really troublesome for a, a once proud program. Uh, Tom, one thing that we kind of missed last Friday when talking about the uh, the meetings over there in Mechanicsburg, was the Farrell Steelers uh, trying to leave District 10, not wanting to be in District 10, trying to go to District 7. Uh, what did you make of the vote there, kind of what they were thinking, and, and kind of the disappointment on both sides with the whole Farrell situation? You know, it's kind of a lose-lose situation. I mean, both sides look bad. Uh, you know, they've been going back and forth between D7 and D10 constantly uh, over the last couple of decades. And the last time they came to D10, Wally Lucas told them, if you come, you're staying forever. Uh, we're done with this uh, going back and forth stuff. And they said, yeah, that's perfectly fine. And now, of course, they want to leave. I think it's really, they went down to single A. They, they stopped their rivalry with Sharon. Uh, there's a lot of political jockeying there where they don't play the steel ball anymore when they play football. And that's one of the best rivalries around. And they don't play basketball anymore. And I think they really don't like any of the teams left. In, the, in District 10 that they play every year. So a lot of broken relationships there. There's, they're done with it. They're fed up. They want to leave. But District 10 told them, you're staying. So really, it's, it comes down to Farrell having to, to repair relationships now because they're uh, really not well-liked in District 10, uh, but they're you know one of the best teams around. So really, it's going to come down to the administration mending those uh, relationships at this point. Right. So with... How how do you think they they go about trying to repair some of those like uh, issue a good like do they send a fruit basket to these other teams or what are they going to have to do pretty much to make up for it? Well, I think they're going to start meeting with some teams. Uh, you know, I know their their fans rub people wrong a lot. Um, they're, they're, they get kind of obnoxious at times, so they're loud. But that's because they win a lot, and I think teams get jealous of that. So if there's a lot of uh, tension when they play a lot of teams around in District 10. I think they got to start talking to schools, making things better. Um, they got to repair their relationship with Sharon. That's the best rivalry in Mercer, Mercer County. Uh, the Steel Bowl, they usually play week one in football. That's the longest standing tradition except for Prep and Dow. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of the, the two school boards going at each other. So they really have to. That's the first step is, is talk to Sharon, 
get that figured out, and then really talk to Kennedy Catholic, Rocky Grove, Jamestown, some other teams and get that figured out. Right. Do you, do you think now that the season's almost over, the high school teams have really separated themselves? Are there clear front runners now for who's in and who's out? And are there some teams that are just simply left behind and scratching their heads trying to figure out what they're going to do for next year? Yeah, I think you, uh, you look at um, a lot of the uh, top teams in each region are pretty much set. Uh, even if they're tied for first and second, they know they're going to the playoffs. You get that middle of the pack, those teams that are really trying to fight for playoff spots. Uh, other teams, they know they're pretty much finished and just got to get through these last four weeks. But, um, you know, it's interesting to look at uh, locally, Region 2, Cambridge Springs and the Iroquois are tied. They don't play until Week 9, so that's going to be a great game. But they're both going to the playoffs. Uh, in, in Region 4, you know, Fairview is, is in the first place by itself. Uh, but after that, you got four teams fighting for three playoff spots. Uh, and the two teams behind them are still alive. Seneca is still alive, but they had to pretty much went out. So, yes, a lot of exciting stuff there. It's not as exciting in Region 6 because everyone's in pretty much. All the all the city teams, Prep, McDowell, McLean, they're all in the playoffs no matter what, uh, unless they opt out. So, uh, really, the exciting part around here is going to be in Region 4. One thing, uh, one team, excuse me, not playing tonight, uh, Lakeview, uh, with their game being uh, post or canceled, and I guess they were trying to find a replacement. What's the storyline with that? Because coming from District 11 in the eastern side of the state, this is no one ever had a cancellation. Yeah, you know, basically their opponent, Sagertown, just was you know down to ten kids. You know, Sagertown was once a really strong single A program, and four years ago they were forced to go to double A because of their enrollment and they were placed in the southern region against Mercer County and just got pummeled for two years. Kids quit over it. They didn't want to play because it was just embarrassing. And that really ruined their program. And they told District 10, if we're we're double-A again, we're not going to have football. And they were single-A this cycle. But it really didn't help. Uh, The coach last year got fired. They brought in a first-year coach that uh, is trying to breathe some life in the program. But they have injuries. They have kids quitting. They have, uh, you know, they're down to 10 kids on the roster right now. They're healthy. So it's in real trouble. And it's in shame for Lakeview because it's their homecoming weekend. So they really have no homecoming game tonight. They almost had a miracle with Matthews, Ohio. They had their game uh, canceled because of uh, their opponent. And uh, But Matthews couldn't figure out a way to get a bus across state lines. It's a really weird rule that their, uh, their bus company can't travel across state lines. So they couldn't work that out. I said, you know what, just have your uh, parents carpool. But they couldn't work it out, and Lakeview won't have a homecoming game this year. That's unfortunate. It's, it's amazing we couldn't get enough soccer mom vans filled up <laughs> with, with players and equipment to make that trek across the state lines. Uh, Tom, so if we're, uh, if we're interested in heading out to some games tonight, despite uh, it not being maybe the, the blockbuster of a, of a game schedule that you said it would be, what would be the, uh, the top places we should be heading out to tonight? Well, I think Corey at Fort LaBeouf uh, is going to be a really good game. Corey has been stuck in that Mercer County region in AA. They've really kind of toughened themselves and played some really good teams. And uh, I don't think Region 4 has seen those kind of teams in the in regular season. So Corey's been on the rise. Fort LaBeouf is really tough to be at home. Uh, I'll be the watcher this year, so they've been, they've been really good. Uh, that's going to be a, a, a pretty good game. And then Iroquois and Seneca. Uh, Seneca coach Dave Frank used to play for Iroquois. Some of his, uh, some of his staff members used to play for Iroquois. They even wore their Iroquois jerseys to practice yesterday to kind of motivate their players. So that's a nice little uh, developing rivalry with Iroquois and Seneca, and it should be a pretty good game. All righty, so that's where we'll be for that for that uh, for tonight if we need Tom and uh, 
I think that's going to be all for uh, you on a Friday morning. We appreciate the time, as always, uh, talking about the uh, Farrell trying to move districts. We, we, uh, as soon as we hung up with you a week ago, we were like, oh, man, this is why we're going to get fired. We, didn't, we missed that one. <laughs> so, uh, but we appreciate the uh, time, as always, here on a Friday morning, and uh, enjoy tonight's action, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks a lot, guys. There he is, Tom Reisenweber of the Erie Times News, uh, calling in here on his normal, normal Friday time. Always good stuff with Tom. Always good stuff. The the Varsity Prime Bazaar. I think we're gonna stick with that one. I think that's that's the one good thing Tubby's done right in probably about the last week and a half. <laughs> oh, thanks. But uh, I want to stick one more thing in just to, for another game that you may want to go to. I don't know about the quality of play, but it is Titusville. Are you? Home. Hold on. So you're questioning the Czar? Is that what you're telling me? Now? No, no, I am not. You just I'm... coined him the Czar, and now you're like, well, he forgot a game. Well, no, it's not so much because it's the football play because Titusville's facing Oil City in Titusville, and the the game is it youth football night. There no, it is not youth football. <laughs> well, kinda it is, jerk. But anyway, <laughs> it's Titusville's homecoming. So if you want to see a good festive uh, atmosphere, some Ooh. fireworks, some cool stuff going on, Titusville knows how to throw a party at least. I don't watch Oil City when there's no Ben Koyak. I'm saying that much. Who? <laughs> <laughs> Yep. I just played the Who sounder and you missed it. Oh. I, we got to figure this out that it, so we can hear it. Who? It did play, though. I can hear it in my headset. Very quiet. Well, that, that's all that counts. I mean, it's your show. We're just here at your leisure. <laughs> when you're here, there is no leisure. We're going to take a break. <laughs> Come back. Josh Gleason hopefully is going to be on the line. And he's my calling buddy. right now. We'll be back after this. 9.34 here on 88.9 Fighting Scots Radio. It's the morning after as we roll along on another segment. We're still on air, surprisingly, edrownow.com. The tune-in app on mobile devices. Oh, gosh. Anywho, good talk with Tom Reisenweber um, in that last segment. The Varsity Prime czar. Now he's already hitting on, on uh, Twitter. He's, he's a hard-working man. Up early on a Friday. Mm -hmm. We can't even get Mike here by 9 o'clock to start the show. Zing. That's the difference between you guys. Mm -hmm. That's why he's successful. And you're here. It's accountability. Very true. I'm all right with it. All right. He sounds good. So wow. uh, now now we are uh, going to go to uh, another man that I don't know how much accountability he has. Uh, we're going to go to uh, Josh Gleason. Who? You shouldn't pick on my buddy that way. Sorry. Mr. Gleason, how are you? I, mean, I was late to the show a lot last year, so I understand where he's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. So we appreciate uh the time, Josh, as always, hopefully uh, we have you clear as day this week, and unlike a week ago. So a lot of good things, I don't know, a lot of good things, but a lot of things happened in college football in the last seven days since we last talked. I'm mostly in the coaching realm of it. Uh, let's just start out. Let's go west uh, first, work our way east. Steve Sarkeesian uh, going from indefinite leave to on the street and in the unemployment line in a matter of 24 hours. Uh, what do you make of that situation with, you know, him, with all this coming out about him and his um, issues with alcohol and just, you know, do you feel USC did a good job with their handling of it and all of that? I think it's definitely, I mean, it's a very delicate situation. It's almost impossible for a program to handle this perfectly, but I think USC did it the best that they could. You know, they put him on the indefinite leave, and then once a few more things started coming out about him possibly being drunk during games, about former Washington players, that his last stop as a head coach before USC, about former Washington players, that they had inside jokes really about uh, Sark being drunk during games and how he always brought bottles in the equipment trunk to drink after games. 
And it, once all that stuff kind of came out, I don't really think USC had another choice except for to fire Sarkeesian. And that's it's a tough thing because, you know, this is a man that truly needs some help, that uh, truly has a problem, and hopefully he gets it. And hopefully this is kind of pushed in the right direction. But it's a program at USC that has a lot of pride. That is, it's had its ups and, ups and downs, and it's really – I mean, this is a down for – a program, I think many other programs would love to take this as a down period that the USC's had having to deal with the suspension uh, of scholarships due to the Reggie Bush situation. And they still managed to come out and be a pretty decent team, you know, coming into this year with high expectations, but things just really hadn't worked out for them. So now they got to go out and, and find a new coach. It'll be interesting to see the last couple of times they've gone into the, the Pete Carroll well, so to say, after all their success with Carroll. And it, it hasn't worked out for them. There's still another guy out there, another former USC guy, and Ed Orgeron, that they considered hiring before when they went to Sarkeesian, that is a possibility to take over. But it's almost it almost feels like they kind of need to do what they did with Pete Carroll. And that was they really went outside the program when they brought in Pete Carroll. Carroll wasn't a USC guy. He was uh, a guy with no head coaching experience in the college ranks. Uh, but he had the experience in the NFL, granted us incredibly successful years, but he was the guy that really brought in an energy and something different that USC hadn't really seen. And it almost feels like that's what they need to do is kind of go outside the Trojan ranks and find find somebody different to come in and lead this program. Two questions for you here. Oh, boy. Number one, did you ever think Lane Kiffin's body of work would look good at USC after this situation? <laughs> you know, I, I really didn't, but he's really coming out as a, as a big-time winner in this situation and then the second part uh do you think it was a mistake because clearly you know ed orgeron did have success as an interim uh taking over that program you could tell that he had the guys enthused he had the respect of his players those guys you know went to bat for him terrific recruiter that's always been his mo uh was not a successful head coach at Ole Miss but do you think it was kind of a mistake looking back that usc didn't hang on to that guy considering what he can do in the in the ranks of college football I think in the in hindsight, you definitely have to say. But at the time, you know, Sarkeesian was coming in to be to be the guy, and they really thought he was the next Pete Carroll. You know, he had a lot of success up at Washington, turning a pretty defunct program for a while ever since. Really, the late '80s, um, or excuse me, late '90s, when Washington found some success, bringing in a few different quarterbacks and. Uh, especially the early 90s when they had the likes of like Warren Moon and Drew Bledsoe come through there. Um, or excuse me, not, not Bledsoe. Bledsoe was at Washington State, but, uh, but Warren Moon. And, you know, Stark had a lot of success bringing in Jake Locker and, you know, getting the most out of him, especially because, as we saw, he was he turned out not to be a very good quarterback in the NFL ranks. So he really yeah, got I'm aware. the most out of him at Washington. And it just seemed like at the time, you know, bringing back a former USC guy, a guy with head coaching success, unlike Ordron, it really seemed like the right move at the time. It just, you know, obviously did not work out. Looking at this week's schedule, uh, there are some really, really good matchups. I know one you're going to be keeping an eye on involves uh, sophomore quarterback Kyle Allen in College Station, Texas A&M taking on Alabama, a pair of top ten teams. Uh, one loss for the Crimson Tide. Undefeated is Texas A&M. You've also got Michigan State, Michigan at the Big House, a couple of 330 matchups. Uh, and then later on in the night, Florida at LSU, uh, the Gators trying to 
get back after losing their quarterback in Will Greer uh, with PEDs, loss for the season, and potentially through uh, this time next year. What a situation. Second year in a row the Gators lose their starting quarterback going into LSU week. Uh, what do you expect to see out of that matchup and, and the other two that I just listed? Because it really seems like it's a loaded Saturday with tomorrow's games coming up. Yeah, I think you're going to see a Florida team that, even though they lost their quarterback, a much improved quarterback in Will Greer, I think you're going to see them play with a lot of passion. And it's going to be a tough game against LSU because both teams are undefeated. Both teams have great defenses, and LSU obviously has the guy that everybody talks about, Leonard Fournette. And running back, but I think this Florida team is going to come out firing. They've really lived up to their potential, something that they hadn't really done under Will Muschamp. He's, Muschamp brought in the talent, and Jim McElroy, the former Colorado State head coach, has come in and put all that talent together and really pushed them forward in the right direction. So I think LSU is ultimately going to win that game, but I think they're going to see a pretty close one because, like I said, I think Florida's going to come out, and I think they – want to have a good game for their for their at least now suspended quarterback and amongst the other games um you know the one i'm most excited about the other ones uh, even though this is an incredible slate of games is michigan michigan state you know first time we're going to see jim harbaugh leading the wolverines as the head coach in one of the big rivalries that the wolverines have and they get to host michigan state and this is going to be you know this is a huge contest for for both sides michigan state six and now now but we've seen them struggle against some of the lower Big Ten teams, even after beating uh, an Oregon team that's turning out to not be very good this year. And the Spartans barely won that one as well. And Michigan State seems to just keep barely pulling these games out. And now they have to go on the road to Ann Arbor, which I'm sure is going to be incredibly loud. And they're going to be ready for them. And I, I think it's interesting that Michigan, Michigan's a seven-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. I kind of like Michigan to win, but I think it'll be an incredibly close game. I think the, the biggest battle is going to be Connor Cook versus that Michigan defense because Cook has looked good for the most part. It's kind of been this whole year's kind of been this, a summary of his career as well. He looks really good for long stretches, and then he makes a just a complete boneheaded mistake that that really makes you question, you know, his overall ability and whether or not he's going to make it as an NFL quarterback. Um, and then when you look at the other games across the table, uh, there's also another big game in the Big Ten, uh, Iowa-Northwestern. Iowa's undefeated. Northwestern only got the one loss after losing to Michigan last week, so that one should be a pretty decent contest with the Hawkeyes finding a way to remain in the Big Ten championship talk. And then you get USC-Notre Dame, another huge rivalry, and, of course, this is going to be the first USC game we see in the past couple of years of Ralph Sarkeesian, and then Ohio State-Penn State at night, which I don't think that will be nearly as close as last year's game was, uh, but but we'll see. I mean, Penn State wasn't much better last year than they were this year, and they still found a way to keep that game incredibly close. And then the nightcap for the ranked teams, Utah hosting Arizona State, and we talked about this before, can Utah win two big games back-to-back? And this is going to be the first time we really got to see that because they did beat Oregon on the road, really slaughtered them. But they had the bye week before they got to play Cal, in which they forced five turnovers off arguably the best quarterback in the nation, Jared Goff. And now they have to host Arizona State. And if they can get through this, then they have – 
some easier games. This USD game coming up on the road, which is uh, their next next game next Saturday, has certainly looked a lot easier now. And then after that, their schedule kind of certainly calms down, especially after Stanford really put a whooping on UCLA last night. They don't have to play Stanford at all until a potential Pac-12 championship match. Now that we're a little deeper into the season, who's your top four right now going in? Who makes it? Top four right now, I would say, I mean, I got to put Utah in there given the fact that I, I think they're going to beat Arizona State. And I think schedule-wise, they, they really had the best chance um, to make it in terms of that. I think I think Ohio State will probably find a way in there. I'm starting to think at the rate this is going with Michigan State kind of uh, excuse me, fluttering against some of the weaker teams who are kind of in the same way Ohio State has done. Um, I'm almost starting to think that Michigan's the biggest opponent to Ohio State in terms of threatening, in terms of uh, excuse me, threatening in terms of stopping them and their undefeated bars before the end of the regular season. And of course, those two teams always play it last game of the regular season. So right. I think November, at the rate this is house. going, I think at the rate this is going, it's going to be undefeated versus uh, in a ten and one squad in Michigan. So I think that's going to be a huge game. But uh, right now, I'm going. Uh, Utah, Ohio State, I think LSU is going to remain undefeated. I think their biggest challenge, obviously, in the Alabama coming up after the Florida game. And then last team, I feel like Clemson a lot, the number five in the nation right now. If any team has a schedule easier than Utah's to close out the rest of the way, I would argue that's probably Clemson, who really only has to get through Florida State the rest of the way. Talking about Heisman contenders, we uh, kind of talked about that last week. One guy that clearly uh, will be out of the race now after the first play from scrimmage last week at Tennessee was Georgia running back Nick Chubb. Uh, potential devastating injury. Could be a career ender for such a talented guy. I guess, first of all, how disappointing is that to see for him as we've seen the likes of Keith Marshall, Todd Gurley, Marcus Lattimore do similar things against that same opponent, too, unfortunately. Uh, and then where does that leave this kind of top five uh, Heisman Trophy race for you? Yeah, it certainly sucks for Chubb because, you know, he had that incredible streak going of 100-yard games, and then his first touch in that game, he suffers that unfortunate injury, and now he's going to be lost for at least the rest of this year. And i got to imagine – part of next season uh hopefully he can be back and healthy in time to go for the beginning of next regular season and the leaves georgia is certainly in a tough situation because i know they have tony michelle but they're going to have a tough time in uh replacing Shaw because you know going into the week he was one of the top running backs in the nation and in the in the year of the running back he was arguably number two behind Fournette. Um, other guy that's going to get dropped out of the top five this week is Jared Goff. He's still an exceptional quarterback. He's still the best quarterback prospect in the nation. But you can't throw five interceptions in your team's first big primetime game, their, their witness test. You can't throw five interceptions in the primetime game like that and expect to win the Heisman months later. That was a big chance for golf to put a stamp on a Heisman campaign. And unfortunately that Cal offense line didn't protect him very well. And he made some, some bad mistakes. So both golf and Chubb are going to be out this week. I'm going to start off with a guy from Notre Dame who I don't think is getting enough love. And that's CJ Procise, the running back. And he has done 
a really exceptional job this year of keeping this team contending despite the injury at quarterback. You know, they're still 5-1. and one. They only lost by the two points at Clemson, which, granted, that was certainly his worst game of the year today, and he still had four receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown, his best receiving game of the year, and that was his worst uh, game of the year. So he's kept this team rolling despite the injury. At quarterback, he's got 779 yards rushing this year, averaging over seven yards a carry and nine rushing touchdowns to go along with the run, one receiving touchdown. So I think ProSight is a guy not a lot of people are talking about, but if Notre Dame keeps up what they're doing, which their schedule also lightens up a lot after after playing Clemson, and now obviously that USC rivalry this week looking uh, much like an easier test than it was before with Sarkeesian out. So, Coastlands five for me. Fourth, Ezekiel Elliott, Ohio State. Ooh. He's still he keeps. It seems like he's getting better and better each week, which is certainly very good for Ohio State offense that struggled out of the gates. But he's put up over 100 yards every single week. He is 835 on the ground, 6.9 per carry, and 10 touchdowns. And right now, really, the only thing holding him back, and it's still an excellent number, the 6.9 yards per carry, but. In comparison to these other Heisman contending running backs, it's the lowest mark out of all of them. So that's kind of what's holding him back right now, and it's not entirely his fault. He's been exceptional as a pass protector. He isn't allowed. He's the only running back in the nation to do this, according to Pro Football Focus. He has not allowed a single pressure on his quarterbacks when pass blocking. And he's, like I said, the only running back in the nation to not allow a single pressure. So. He's a guy that can get it done in a multitude of ways. All right, Josh, we're up against the commercial here, so let's whip through these top last ones here. Because, I mean, they probably haven't changed that much, right? No. Um, I mean, I'll be introducing one guy I think I left out last week, but I'll, I'll fly through him really quick. Greg Ward Jr., the Houston quarterback. And, you know, I brought him up last week, and I looked a little more into it. He, ever since he was a former wide receiver at Houston, he took over midway through last year. Ever since he took over at quarterback, they're 11-2. and two with him at the helm and undefeated this year. He's eighth in quarterback rating and tied for third in the nation in rushing touchdowns. So he's a guy that does it with both his feet and his arm. Second is Delvin Cook, which I think I accidentally left out last week, but he's a huge name and had another big week this past week. He's averaging nine yards a carry, which is actually even higher than my number one guy, Leonard Fournette, who's averaging 8.5 a carry. But Fournette has over 1,000 rushing yards already in five games, whereas Cook only has 792. Fournette has 12 rushing touchdowns, and Cook is a both are undefeated teams. Both have been exceptional so far. So I think it's going to be, you know, at this rate, it seems like it's really going to come down to those two. Those two both are incredibly talented. Right now the huge difference is Fournette is dropping 204 a game, and Dalvin's dropping 158. So... Florida State and Cook are going to have to bridge that gap a little bit if they really want to push Fournette for the Heisman Trophy. There you go. That's Josh Gleason's Heisman Watch, college football talk the like, with the, uh, should we call him the, the college football czar? That ain't true! I guess not. No. No. <laughs> All right, Josh, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. There you go. That's Josh Gleason on the line uh, here on the morning after. We're going to hit our final break of the show, come back, and uh, Mike and I have an announcement real quick, some other things to get to in our final moments here on the show. Don't go anywhere.
hungry, looking for volunteer opportunities, or just searching for a day of socializing, come on down to the Edinburgh Food Pantry located on 124 Meadville Street in Edinburgh, PA. The Edinburgh Food Pantry provides food for those who cannot afford it otherwise. Several different stores like Wegmans and Giant Eagle provide food for the pantry. Receiving donations of all kinds from organizations all over the area, the Edinburgh Food Pantry is able to provide aid for families in need. For more information about the Food Pantry, contact Mary Weber at 814-734-1008. From yesterday's classics to the top hits of today, 88.9 WFSE, Fighting Scots Radio. Just like that, we're back. Got no time for this stuff. Nope. <laughs> 9.53. Ain't nobody got no time for that. Here we go. Because you know why? When you have this guy in the building, you can do whatever the heck you want. Right. Sure. So uh, we're going to come right back here on the show because uh, too much. we had too much information today. It's an overload. I think Friday should be like three hours. It really should. It's unbelievable how but much But, you know, we, we got Marley about. coming up next, and I, I heard she has, a, she has a good guest coming on in for an interview as well. So that's, you know, stay tuned for that. I don't want to go over on... Um, on Marley's show because she's she's got to have her time too. Certainly, she does two hours every Friday. Yeah, she's putting in work. Yes, so good work by her. No um, so as I teased before our our twenty seven second uh, break, <laughs> um, we uh, we have an announcement to make, Mister Fenner. That's right. So hold the phone. Is it that big? It's I huge. think it's that big. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, take it away. So the Keystone State Shootout. Coming to the Mike S. Zafirovsky Sports and Recreation Dome this Sunday is a high school basketball showcase. The best high school basketball players in the area will be playing in this. Four boys, four girls teams, three games on each for each court in the dome. Goes all over the state. Streamed online for the world to see. Division one coaches in attendance as well as watching. Mike and I. We'll be taking our broadcasting talents to the Dome on Sunday to call one of those courts. Not sure if it's women or men. Excellent. We probably should ask that question. Now I'm that good I either way. It. Yeah. Well, just so we could prep. Sure. The rosters are out there, so it's Keystone State Shootout. Google that. They have a good website up there. They come to Edinburgh almost every year. They've been to Bloom. They go to Lehigh over in the Lehigh Valley area. Um, I watched some of their replays from the Bloomsburg games, and they had a lot of players from Philly all around the Allentown area, um, which produces a lot of good players um, there. And um, I'm excited for it. 9.30 start. We'll get underway there. and We'll be done about 2.30. Mm-hmm. Good, good with me because the Eagles are on Monday night. And good so. with me because I don't want to watch the Dolphins and Marcus <laughs> Mariota face off. So there you go for that yep. one. But uh, so, yeah. I'm just I'm just relieved that it wasn't announcing that uh, my position here has been terminated. It's and no been, longer. And I've been replaced by a trained monkey because I feel like a trained monkey could do my job. You know, I would say that ain't true, but I mean, it, it possibly it's could true. <laughs> it's only funny because it is true. <laughs> I'm replaceable. I got it. Um, nonetheless, we, we, we like you. So, uh, got him. So, uh, we're, so, yeah, so tune in on that. There'll be live stream there. And it's really nice. We just, we just get to show up and, and, you know, bring our talents there. Mike and I get to do it together, do high school basketball. But before that, Mike, we're going to get practice. Not like we don't have to do this now that we're already prepared enough yeah. doing football practice. last night. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point there. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Practice. Not practice. There yep. you go. And uh, we're calling soccer on Saturday, too, on ETV, Channel 4 in the community, Edinburgh.tv on the air. Not on 88.9. So you got you to gotta go find a TV or get to a computer for Edinburgh.tv. <clears throat> Mike and I will have the call as the Scots host Kutztown, who ousted Edinburgh in the PSAC playoffs a year ago. So that 
should be a good So contest. it's payback time. Yeah, we'll have to see. Edinburgh beat Kutztown late in the regular season last year to really clinch themselves a playoff spot. And then Golden Bears got them right back in the postseason. So that should be an interesting one as well there. Um, so that's – Mike and I got a busy weekend, basically. We, we just get to see each other all the time. Mm-hmm. As if Thursday night wasn't enough. We fig- <laughs> Mike thought he was going to get a weekend off, but – but that's not going to happen. My buddy and me. Remember Something those, like that. Remember, remember those little dolls? Maybe you guys are too young for that. I didn't way. play with dolls. Um, anyway, going to the <laughs> yeah, NFL That surprises season, me. Sunday. That ain't true. That, I, I didn't play with dolls. That ain't true. Um, Eagles are the Monday nighters. We can talk about that on Monday. Dallas has a bye week. Oakland has a bye week. St. Louis and Tampa Bay also have the week off. Oh, not the Bucks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Question, though, Sunday nighter, New England at Indianapolis. Obviously, this game that was talked about more than any other game for this, uh, for this week six slate, obviously, because this, this would have been the first game back for Tom Brady if the suspension was upheld. Do you feel New England, I, I think New England wins with ease, but do you feel yes. New England runs up the score? Yes. Yeah, like I think 60. they're going to come out motivated. Yes. I think they're going to say, you know, just like in the AFC Championship, hey, this game wasn't close. Uh, there was no way that, you know, Deflategate had anything to, anything to do with this outcome. And keep in mind, Andrew Luck has yet to defeat the Patriots in his career. Uh, I think the Colts get a lot of accolades, get a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, lauding, but Indianapolis has yet to do that. I mean, they've made the AFC Championship once, but they've yet to beat the Patriots. It would be a huge statement win for Luck and the Colts, but once again, I think it just epitomizes the mediocrity of the AFC South. Yep. Very true, very true. Um, I agree with that guy. I like my job. You know, you're allowed to have an opinion. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying. I know, but I just said everything I would have said anyway. So Alrighty I then. I, Alrighty then. One game that I think will obviously be of interest around here, but could potentially be a good game, Arizona at Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, the Steelers coming off a walk-off win, which you rarely get in the National Football League, but a walk-off win. And Arizona, this is Arizona. I mean, they did the same thing a year ago, getting off to a hot start. They're not undefeated anymore. But who do you think wins that contest? This is tough. I, if the Cardinals were at home, this is a no-brainer for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if Ben's out, though, I still like the Cardinals. Their defense is elite. Uh, I think this is my NFC front runner right now to go to the Super Bowl. Clearly, it's still early, like we talked about. But I love the Cardinals. I'm all in. This offense is so underrated. What do you think, Tubby? No, I disagree. <laughs> no, no, because you're still looking at a, at a west a westernly team coming east to play. It's a good point. At a one o'clock game, yeah. live on Fox. Uh, I Pittsburgh it was on tape delay. could be, should be for you, jerk. <laughs> All right, and uh, but I mean, it, you still have to go into Pittsburgh. You still have to play in Pittsburgh. It's not a friendly environment. True. I'm I'm taking Pittsburgh in some wacky, wild, screwed up play where they somehow pull it out because that's how they do it, and I hate them for it. No one asked, but I'm going with Arizona in this one. That's all the time Nobody cares. because we don't have a three-hour show. Marley's coming in next. Stay tuned for that. You'll have some good tunes, good Edinburgh info, and a guest coming on in. I'm not gonna, not gonna give away the ID of that one. So come on in and or come on, listen as she at that guest coming on in with Marley for her show. Thanks to Mike and Tubby for the for the time. ETV Women's Soccer one o'clock tomorrow, and then of course the Keystone State Shootout. On Sunday, check out that live stream online with Mike and I branching out to different things. We'll talk to you all on Monday right here on The Morning After.